Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everyone, Richard Crow here and welcome to On The Grid, a weekly in-depth look at the Australian motorsport scene here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. On The Grid covers everything from supercars to S5000, TCR to Australian GT and a whole heap more. The weekly spread of interviews, news, views and opinion on what makes the sport tick down under. We'd love to have you involved as well. If you've got any questions about Antipodean racing, drop us a line on the socials by using at the race talk on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, and we'll include your question in the next show. So that's it from me. Grab a beer, put a snag on the Barbie, fire up some Bathurst on the TV and crank up your V8 and enjoy an Aussie look at our great sport. And let's welcome the show's host with the most, the voice of the Melbourne cricket ground as well, is Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Thank you for joining us. A big show before the first weekend of the year where we have supercars, F1 and MotoGP all together on the one weekend. On this show talking supercars is Wilkinshaw Andretti United driver Bryce Fullwood. We'll cover off on his Super 2 career and a great weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park two weeks ago with his first top 10 in supercars. Richard Crowler, Mark Walker will help me dissect the upcoming round at Sydney Motorsport Park and see if we can find you a winner, Dale Rogers also, to review and preview Formula One. But first, this week's news and coronavirus headlines our segment with news coming through that all Super 2 and Super 3 teams have had to move out of their Western Sydney accommodation that was set for them for this weekend due to a COVID-19 positive test. The Atura Hotel was scheduled to house all support drivers and personnel, but the teams have now moved into an alternative accommodation as the strict regulations around the return of racing meant even a deep clean by the hotel of its facility was not enough to allow teams to stay there. The supercars are set for another three races at the Western Sydney circuit and a change of tyres and a night race on Saturday will ensure a totally different feel to two weeks ago. Red Bull Holden Racing Team driver Jamie Winkup says he can't wait to see what the weekend brings. Back to Sydney, Mark 2. Uh, three weeks after we went there in the first time. Um, they've changed the rules up a fair bit. Instead of uh, the, the tyre strategy, it's gone from five sets of soft tyres to two sets of soft, three sets of hards. Um, but the biggest change is going to be under lights. So looking forward to getting back there. Hopefully the rain stays away and we um, have a crack of battle under lights. Wincup praising his Victorian colleagues for making the supreme sacrifice. Massive praise for all the Mexicans that have uh, you know, made massive sacrifices, left their families to, um, to get on the road to, to keep our sport going. So we've got massive respect for um, all those guys. Um, what goes around comes around, of course. Um, but, yeah, for, for them to, uh, to make that sacrifice, to be able to, for us to still to be able to compete, um, massively respectful. We won't be giving them any more on the track, though, that's for sure. But... Um, you know, we, we thank them a lot for keeping the sport alive. More on this weekend's action shortly. Meanwhile, the F1 circus has left Austria for Turkey after two consecutive weekends at the Red Bull Ring. Lewis Hamilton wrapped with how the second race of the season turned out for him. This is a, a track that I've... I don't know why there are tracks that some drivers are stronger and stronger than others, but this is one of my weak circuits, so to, to get a performance like this today, I, I, I'm over the moon. I'm so happy. But I do also know that it's a long way to go. Finishing third was Red Bull driver Max Verstappen, who said the race didn't excite him that much. We, uh, we have some work to do. Um, yeah, at the end, uh, of course, with Valtteri, I could see him coming, so my tyres were pretty dead. So, I, I, I mean, up until then, for me, it was a really boring race. Um, just seeing Lewis, of course, pulling away, and I was just trying to do my own pace. Um, so, yeah, one lap of fighting with, with Valtteri was cool. But, of course, I knew that the lap afterwards he was going to pass me anyway. Um, but at least a bit of excitement is good. Daniel Ricciardo bumped down to eighth with just a couple of laps to go. Ricciardo says it was a poor overtaking move by Lance Stroll that got him there. Firstly, he didn't really get past. I mean, he forced both of us off the track, so 
I mean, I'll, I'll be always critical of myself. I should have closed the door, but um, but I don't think he was ever making the move. So I think it was desperate. Obviously, Lando was coming, and uh, I think he had to do something or Lando was going to eat him up. So, um, But, you know, I take the apex and we crash. So, Dal Rogers to preview race three of the year later in the show. Felix Rosenquist ended the undefeated start to the 2020 season by his teammate Scott Dixon on the weekend at the Indy Grand Prix at Road America. The 28-year-old continued the dominating start for Chip Ganassi Racing, which has won all four IndyCar Series races this season. Long time. We've been close so many times. Uh, I mean, this race was for my 10-car crew, the NTT Data crew, also Honda. You know, I'm really proud to be powered by 8 and Honda this year. Uh, been really good. Every race just hasn't had the luck and has the races come together until now. And today we just went all for it. Super paced. Car was fantastic. And it's uh, four out of four for Ganassi now, which is huge. And finally, CEO of Queensland Raceway, John Tetley, has explained to the Racetalk.com the financial impact COVID-19 has had on his two facilities, Queensland Raceway and Lakeside Park. No, we, we just zero revenue uh, from about the um, 15th of March, I think it might have been. It was We were fairly quick to get off off the um, off the production line, shall we say. Um, and during the lockdown, we had virtually no activity. We were, um, you know, catching up on jobs, if you like, things that we've been a bit too busy to get to. Uh, so, yes, we got a few things done um, for improvements at both venues while they were lying idle. Um, made up a whole bunch more coda barrier stuff like that um so yeah we we were busy but we had zero revenue so yeah we were hurt um well as i say virtually for all of q4 we were shut i mean if we had five percent of our normal revenue for q4 that would have been it and uh as luck would have it of course we had a number of rainouts in the january and february time frames so we were already a long way behind the eight ball in q3 um, so, yeah, and then to lose the last couple of weeks, which were normally the busier weeks, you know, as you're, as you're ramping up again. It's been a very tough time. Uh, as I was saying before, you know, we had all those people out there on the weekend. That gave me heart to think that what we're doing is something that people need and want. Yeah. And, and look, I enjoy putting excitement into other people's lives. And joining us as always, Richard Crowell from theracetalk.com. Hello, Crowley. How are you? Hello, Shebexter. I'm good, thanks. How's how's life in lockdown for you in sunny Melbourne? Lockdown, <laughs> lockdown version 2.0. And I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later on. It sucks a lot more than version 1.0. Yeah, yeah. It had just that, feels that, different. You had that tease of coming out the other yeah. side, and then uh, a few silly people made it uh, all come undone. Anyway, there's racing on this weekend again, Shebex, which is terrific. Supercars Championship in action at Sydney Motorsport Park for the second time. A bit of night racing as well, which is exciting, and yep. I think I think it's going to be a very exciting weekend of racing. I do too, and I think I'm really looking forward to seeing how our first guest is going to go this weekend, after securing himself a top ten spot in the final race two weeks ago at Sydney Motorsport Park. We say a very good day to Bryce Fullwood, who joins us on the line from the Wilkinshaw Andretti United team. Good day, Bryce. How are you? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? Mate, fantastic. First of all, congratulations to you. A top 10 finish in your fifth race of racing in the main game uh, as a full-time driver. An amazing effort. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Um, obviously, a full credit goes out to the team. You know, we've, uh, the team's worked quite hard, obviously, in, in lockdown version 1.0, as you referenced before. Um, so, you know, we've really tried to keep the ball rolling. Um, you know, obviously Adelaide, we, we had a, a good weekend with Chaz's car, but with myself, it was a really tough weekend, but um, sort of gave me a really good chance to, to regroup and, and put my head down. And, um, you know, I had, I had enough time to, you know, that when we come back racing again, I could, um, yeah, put all my efforts in the right direction and, and do something half all right. Pretty extraordinary circumstances to step up into the main game. You get one full race meeting in. Your second race meeting gets cancelled. You don't turn a lap for four months. You go E-Series racing. And now you're back into it with different formats and different tyre rules. And it's all been thrown up in the air. Um, it must have been a fairly a fairly crazy start to your supercar career from your point of view, I would imagine. 
Yeah, look, absolutely. It's um, you know, as everyone's been saying, it's it's very uh, unprecedented times for the world at the moment, you know. And I guess for me, um, no matter what the format is of the event, it's a big it's a big change and a big difference from what I've been used to. So the cool thing is, obviously, once we've come back racing, it's been really mixed up, which probably puts everyone else out of their comfort zone a little bit. Whereas mm. for me, I'm still kind of trying to work it out a little bit so it probably brings me back to a little bit more of a level playing field to be quite honest mate take us through that period between the first round and the last time you raced a couple of weeks ago must have been tough for you personally for the fact that Adelaide probably didn't go the way you wanted it to turn 11 turned out to be a bit of a nemesis I suppose in in both races at Adelaide and then all of a sudden there was such a massive gap apart from a couple of sessions at the Grand Prix, for you to actually prove yourself again. Take us through what that was like for you and just wanting to get out there to show, hang on, I can do this. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very routine person. I like to train the same time every morning and, and have my sort of routine down pat. And, um, you know, the biggest thing for me going into Adelaide was, you know, I was, with the deal was done sort of quite late um, and, you know, I, I hadn't moved down to Melbourne yet just before Adelaide and it was quite a, you know, I sort of was living on people's couches a little bit going into Adelaide. And so, um, you know, I was just personally quite up and down and not not sort of didn't have everything sorted as I, as I would like. And so just my preparation, you know, was just hampered massively at the start of the year. And, you know, I really... I felt like I put my worst foot forward that I possibly could have at Adelaide. And um, look, the team, I must admit, were really, really accommodating in that they they knew that taking on a rookie, there was going to be some ups and downs. And, mm-hmm. you know, I felt like I could have done a, a lot better job than that. Um, and so obviously, you know, we, I, I felt like also, um, you know, I was quite uncomfortable with the car with, in Adelaide and having some, some big difficulties with it. Um, so then going into GP, you know, I felt like um, we had a clear direction, you know, as to where we wanted to go with the car. And so, um, you know, in the couple of practices that we actually had at the GP, we were really competitive, uh, which was a really good sign for me. Um, and that was sort of like a little bit of a glimpse of what, I guess, was it was possible or, or what was to come, I suppose. But um, that's sort of what I had to live off going through, you know, I, I guess our isolation um, period. So... I'm, I'm very lucky that the team believe in me as much as they do. And, um, you know, even having not really had a, a really good race meeting under my belt. Um, but, you know, through that period, I definitely showed them. And, and um, you know, I, I suppose they saw what I'm like in regards to, I'm sort of always thinking about racing. It's sort of what I, I live my life for. So um, even though, you know, we didn't, even though we didn't go racing for a while, I was speaking to the engineers every single week about, you know, what we could do and how to make the car better and, and whatnot. Always looking forward to the first event back. Yeah. Hey, I mean, Bryce, you're a, a Dunlop Super 2 champion. So even though you, you said that the team was taking a risk by betting on a rookie that, you know, you've still had success in supercars at a very, very high level. So you've got that experience going into it. But I, I remember sitting in the media room at the Sandown 500 last year in November and we watched you perform in the co-drivers race where you were fourth. And then you paired up with Andre Heimgartner to yeah. be eighth in the 500 in the Nissan. Do you feel like that race and in that whole enduro campaign where you were very quick alongside a really fast guy in Andre that was proven at the top level, was that important, do you think, to putting this year together? Was that a real sort of show of strength from you going, hey, I can compete at this top level and be as competitive as any of these guys that have been doing it for a long time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I think the groundwork was put in with the Super 2 performance, but I think it was definitely the cherry on top because, you know, um, I, I guess if I were a supercar team owner, to, to look into Super 2 and see someone doing well, that's all fine and well. But to see him in your race, in your backyard doing well is a different mm. story. In a car that you know how the performance has been for that year and you, you know... I rate Andre quite highly and I think he did a really good job in that Nissan um, last year, you know, and the fact that I guess I was pretty much matching him with speed everywhere we went, um, I think, you know, really showed that I guess I was ready for the step. And I think probably the the event that really showed it was Bathurst um, for me, 
you know, I had a really good weekend um, in Super 2 and, and also had a really, really good performance in, um, you know, in Car 7 with Andre. So that was definitely the, you know, one of the, the big, um, I, I guess, that was one of the big moments, I guess, where I, and, and I sort of thought within myself, okay, yeah, maybe I'm really ready to do this, you know. Yeah, and I suppose it's it's as much about your own self-belief as it is proving to the team owners in the paddock that you can do the job because I would imagine internally that gives you a real buzz going, hey, these guys are all at the top of their game. I'm here racing Wink Up and Van Gisbergen and setting lap times as fast as they are in a car that hasn't been that successful. Um, that must have been mentally a really good preparation for you to go into that first full season. Yeah, exactly right. And I, I think the biggest thing was, you know, we were, I, I think Andre and I, we didn't have very much luck, but I think we we're a little mm. bit of a dark horse through the Enduros, you know, we were Absolutely. probably not a favourite, but, you know, I think we had quite good speed everywhere we went. Um, you know, Bathurst, we had quite a lot of speed and didn't quite work out for us in the end. But, you know, through the race, you know, I think we qualified just outside the 10 and due to um, my speed, it meant that we could run an alternate strategy and I could run with the main series drivers and Andre could run with the co-drivers. And, I had this, I sort of had the same speed as the main drivers, so I didn't lose any ground. And then when Andre jumped in against the co-drivers, he'd make ground. So all day we were sort of climbing back through the field and sort of, you know, ended up in the in the top five towards the end of the race. But you know, there, there was a stint where I did, um, you know, in that Bathurst race where I actually had Fabian behind me, and yeah, you know, Fabian's um, you know a well-credentialed driver and you know been doing it a long time, and he was stuck behind me for the whole stint and couldn't couldn't make any ground on me and. You know, I, I actually um, you know, was quicker than him across the top. Um, you know, obviously he was in my aero wash, but, um, you know, it was a really good confidence booster for me because, you know, for me being, you know, 21 um, at that time, you know, I've looked up to these people all my life in, in my karting career. And, you know, all of a sudden you, you start racing against these people and, um, yeah, things change a bit, I guess. You talk about confidence. Take us through how your confidence was in your first four years of Super 2s as a 16, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old, your first four seasons. It wasn't, yeah. the best, it wasn't the best start to a racing career, was it? No, well, look, I think, um, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong way um, nowadays of coming through into supercars. You know, at, at my point in time, I came through at a really odd period where, you know, the introduction of Formula 4 you know, was, was yep. being processed and about to happen and no one was sure when the start date was going to happen, but it was going to happen that year. Um, Formula Ford was extremely expensive because the years, the two years previous were extremely competitive years, but all of a sudden there was no one in Formula Ford and, you know, all the competition that I had raced in go-karts previously was spread out between Formula Ford and Formula Four. And I personally have always thrown myself in the deep end as far as I can. And I feel that's the fastest way for me to learn and grow. And I just sort of looked at the competition in both those categories and thought, I don't really feel like I'm going to learn a lot um, because they're all people that I've raced against and beaten previously. So, you know, we, obviously the Kumo series wasn't at that point, it wasn't what it had become in the last couple of years. It was a little bit more of a gentleman's cup, you know. So it sort of meant that Dunlop series was pretty much the only path. Um, you know, I sort of said to my parents, I mean, I, growing up in the Territory, I learned to drive a manual car when I was six years old and <laughs> you know, I've grown up on acreage. So driving the car was not going to be the problem. Um, you know, that, that side of things, driving tractors and backhoes and trucks and whatever. So that sort of wasn't the problem. But, you know, I sort of said to my parents, well, look, we don't really have enough money to, um, you know, race Formula Ford or Formula 4 for two or three years and then go into Super 2. I said, why don't we just try and go into Super 2? Why don't we just see if I can drive the car? At least then we're racing in a category where we can get some exposure and we can potentially get some sponsorship to help us on our way. Yeah. And, um, you know, the first year for me, um, you know, it was a really tough year. I didn't have an engineer. Um, you know, I was sort of just teaching myself how to read data. Um, and it was more about just learning the track, I guess. And, and But uh, I didn't really have... I guess a full-time engineer helping me to learn, you know, whereas in my second year um, I went over to Matt White and, you know, I learned a lot, but um, that was the year that the cough car came in. So I was sort of in a really good car, but um, it was the wrong time mm. to be in that car. So 
you know, this industry is a lot about timing and, and, and being with the right people at the right time in the right car at the right time. And, you know, so I've, I think um, in the end of my second year, I came third at Homebush in the last race in an old car. And I was the first, you know, there was 12 new cars in the category at that point. So, you know, there was a really good glimmer of hope there, but it was quite easily diluted because, um, you know, only the people that really knew what they were looking at in regards to, oh, he's in an old car and he's in a new car kind of knew what was you know happening um and then i guess for my third year um that's when matt white went over to nissan's um but there was only two cars available at the start of the year and we didn't have the budget um and the third car was to come halfway through the year so we started off the year in in the fg um the the previous car to the cough car um and that was really hard going like the new car was far superior in mm. in every way I remember, yeah, you know, I remember racing at Phillip Island and just beat my head against a brick wall, saying to my engineer, "I'm just driving the wheels off this thing, but there's nothing. I can't, I can't catch these guys." And he looked at me and he said, "Mate, this is that's the fastest this car's ever been around this track, main <laughs> main series included." He yeah. said, "We just don't have the right widget, like we yeah. just, you know." So um, then I sort of. You know, got to Townsville and, and jumped in the Nissan. No testing. We picked the car up a week before the event. I came third in the last race there. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is there was glimmers of hope along the way, but it was just really, you know, we were a little bit hampered in the equipment that we were in at the particular time. Um, and that's just so important in, in this category and, and in this series. And thank you for the detailed answer. And I didn't ask the question as a disparaging way, it was sort of a leading to the fact that you had four tough years. Then all of a sudden you become champion. Take us through what that, how did that happen in, to you? I mean, was all of a sudden, was there a mind change through the summer? Was there something that you guys did with the car that gave you something different? How did you get such a difference in where you were at compared to where you finished that year? Um, that the, the biggest you know, the short answer to that is um, you might be the best person in the world, but if you don't have, oh, I, I call it, call it, I call it aligning the stars. Yeah. If you don't have the right support, the right car, the right engineer, the right, um, you know, the right partners around you, the right team around you, no matter how good you are, you can't make it work. It's a really, really cutthroat industry in that way. And, you know, I think at the end of my third year when I was in the Nissan, um, you know, I came second at Sandown. I came um, third at uh, Newcastle in my third year. And that was in the Nissan. Um, and I, I'd only had three events in that car, you know, whereas my teammates had had all year in that car. So, you know, I think uh, as a driver, I was really starting to unlock some speed at the end of that third year. Um, I think that fourth year, had I been in that same car in that same position, I don't think we would have won the championship in the fourth year. However, I think, by the end of that fourth year, um, or by midway through that fourth year, certainly, um, you know, I was well capable of winning races. It was just, um, you know, I think I still had to grow a little bit more, um, it, you know, maturity-wise. But, you know, for the most part, you know, I didn't drive any better from my fourth year to my fifth year of Super 2. It was just uh, just aligning all the stars. That's all it was. And, you know, I think, I think for me, at the end of my fourth year, um, or two thirds, yeah, probably towards the end of my fourth year, I knew exactly where I needed to be in exactly what car with exactly what engineer. And I, I did everything I could to build that team around myself for that last year. And I did all the deals with Matt White. And, you know, I mean, previously being a, being a young fellow, my, my dad was a big part in doing the deals, but, you know, dad really looked at me and said, look, do you really want to go again and, and, and try and do this? And, you know, my biggest thing was if I wasn't good enough to do the job, that's okay. As long as I, as long as I didn't sort of die wondering, if you know what I mean. And, and um, so, yeah, I just wanted to put myself in the, in the right position and, or what I felt was the right position. And I really felt like if I couldn't make it work last year, then it was never going to happen for me. Really well said, mate. I love it. And I think, you know, Jamie Winkup is the goat, clearly the best of all time in supercars, but there's an argument to say that he wouldn't have won his seven championships and more than 110 races if it wasn't with that Mark Dutton and Triple Eight partnership and Red Bull and Holden and the time at Ford and the Bathurst wins with Lowndes. Like that, 
it's all the pieces coming together, like you said. Um, speaking of pieces coming together, Walkinshaw Andretti United seems to be coming together really well at the moment. And we sort of thought that this big reset they've had going into 2020 was going to be a really interesting thing to experience. And we saw Chaz come out of the blocks really quickly on the streets of Adelaide. But Adelaide has that uh, reputation for throwing up some random results that are difficult to repeat on later in the year. It's just a and both of you are fast at Sydney Motorsport Park and Chaz had some super results. So it feels like from the outside looking in, this is a race team on the rise at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think Chaz and I both saw the same, um, you know, the same attributes in the team. I must say the team, um, you know, they've had some tough years. You know, that's, that's no lie. And they... They know that, and they—I can't believe the the effort and passion and drive within the team to want to succeed. You know, um, it's just blown me away. You know, um, they really used bringing two new drivers in as they used it as a massive excuse to press the reset button and try and go again. Because you know, all the guys on the workshop floor and everyone in in, in the business are extremely good at what they do. But like you, like I said earlier, if if there's if there's one star missing from that from that row, it's not going to happen for you, you know. So, I, I guess their way of trying to make this happen was to try and um, obviously, being myself and Chaz in into the team this year, it was to try and press the reset button and go again. And you know, for me, um, I've always had a massive involvement in the mechanical side of the car and 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 setting the race car up, um, and that's something that I've you know, I've been involved in right the way through setting up my go-karts. And I guess that was the big thing that I suppose they were interested in me for because, you know, I think they felt like they had the right people within the team, but, you know, they just needed to develop their car. And so that's sort of, um, I think Chaz and I saw the same attributes in the team. And, um, you know, I'm really happy with the steps that we've made, even just in the couple of events that we've had this year. Uh, Two-part question now. You're a young bloke from the Northern Territory, uh, and we know that Ryan Walkinshaw is the front man for WAU, and um, it, it's still very much the Walkinshaw family team. But can you quite believe, Bryce, that your other two co-owners, uh, Michael Andretti, who is one of the most successful IndyCar drivers in the history of the sport, uh, and Zach Brown, who runs the McLaren Formula One team, do you sit back and go, this is kind of cool? Yeah, well, I tell you what, it was goddamn scary when I was first trying to talk to all these guys because, you know, I, I again I did the deal myself, um, mm. you know, with these guys, and I rang Ryan and and um, I was actually in Melbourne and um, rang Matt Nelson and uh, said, look, they weren't really interested in a rookie initially, mm. and I said, well, look, I'm in Melbourne, I'd love to come and meet you and just just introduce myself and just show you what I'm about and and show you how passionate I am about racing and. Anyway, that kind of was where the, you know, we started the ball rolling. And, you know, I was on the phone to Ryan quite a lot. And he said, look, um, you know, obviously there's the three co-owners in the business. Um, he said, so you need to ring them, you know, ring Michael and Zach and, and you need to sell yourself to them. And I'm thinking, oh, far out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so I sat in the Virgin Lounge at the Gold Coast Airport and rang Michael Andretti and wow. absolutely was sweating the whole time I spoke to him. And uh, but and, and the same for Zach. I was in another Virgin Lounge. I was in Melbourne when I spoke to Zach, but because um, I was I was absolutely crapping myself, so I couldn't <laughs> ring them all one after another. And um, I've got to admit, you know, they're both great guys. They just they're so passionate about their motor racing, and mm. you know, they um, after a couple of minutes of talking to them, I was really comfortable. But it was uh, it was fairly daunting. I can imagine. What a cool oh, thing. Yeah. Uh, and and the second part in that, um, Bryce, is that. Uh, as a Super 2 racer, you never got the chance to race at, at Hidden Valley and certainly not in the junior formula. So that's the next stop after this weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park. You must be dying to get into a supercar on your home home turf. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, one of the toughest things with, you know, myself coming from Darwin and trying to trying to gain support, you know, from, from my fellow Territorians was it was tough because I didn't race in front of them. Mm. You know, so I'm trying to... Uh, you know, and when I was trying to get people to help invest in my career and help me along the way, it was it was really hard because, you know, they, I wasn't in front of their eyes. You know, if they, I was only, they had to be really interested and follow me to see what was really yeah. going on. 
you know, so that was really tough. And so I, I did some Aussie car races up in Darwin and did some bits and pieces, literally just trying to show the Darwin people my craft, you know. And so mm. I, um, I, did a, I did an Aussie car race meeting up there, a one-off meeting, which I um, was fortunate enough to win, um, which was good. But um, like you say, having done five years of Super 2, I've actually never really properly driven a supercar in Darwin. Um, and to be honest with you, no Territorian actually ever has. So yeah. I'll be the first Territorian to race in Darwin. So, cool. um, look, extremely exciting event coming up. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously it would be awesome to have, you know, the track full of spectators like it normally is. But um, even still, it would be really cool to race there in general. On to this weekend, mate. How's your eyesight? Night racing on a Saturday? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, obviously, what, I guess one good part about coming from Darwin is when we used to race go-karts, it was quite often at night because it was too goddamn hot <laughs> oh, during nice, the day. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so um, but yeah, look, I'm really looking forward to it. Obviously, a couple of years ago when they did it, it was an awesome spectacle. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was actually sitting in the car today um, just at the circuit because I had nothing else to do. And uh, we pulled all the doors down and shut the lights off and turned everything on in the car and just to see how bright everything was and what we're going to be able to see and all of that. So, um, yeah, really, really looking forward to it. It's just, um, you know, I think they did a supercars did a really good job at the last event with the tyre strategy to spice things up a bit. And um, I think going night racing is just going to add to that even more. And great to see that they've uh, done that again this time around with uh, two softs and three hards coming your way. And uh, math, basic maths for me tells me that you need six sets of tyres to change four tyres at every <laughs> stop. So it's going to be uh, a good strategy weekend as well. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, obviously um, to qualify for the first race, there's effectively three qualifying sessions if you make it into the top 15. So there's, uh, yeah, you, you're very undertired. Um, and obviously, you know, I think the tyre strategy last time we had five sets of softs. You know, obviously the original plan was to go to Winton um, where the deg isn't as high. And so yeah. they, they introduced the hard for that. But um, it's going to be quite interesting because, um, you know, quite late in the stint, the soft will drop off more than what the hard will. So it's going to be quite, quite interesting. And um, I think there's a lot of people will have learnt how they played their cards last, you know, two weeks ago. We certainly did. And um, yeah, hopefully we can uh, get it a little bit better. Last one from me, mate. Um, we spoke a couple of times during E-Series, the, the little NTI show that we did uh, with Truck Assist and uh, covering off that. And you did a super job in E-Series. But can you just tell me what it was like when you pushed the pit lane speed limit button on Saturday morning at Eastern Creek a few weeks ago and got 650 horsepower for the first time in four months? Was that a pretty good feeling? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this is exactly that feeling is, basically what I live my life for you know and, and what I've worked so hard for and you know I must admit the first session was was I was rusty I was a bit yeah. all over the joint I ran off and caught both pedals with one foot and I had it all going on and then <laughs> but it was funny because when I came in we only had like 15 or 20 minutes between the rookie session and the first session as soon as I rolled out for the the first main session or, or my second session everything was completely gone and completely back to normal yeah, it was uh, amazing. Like I had yeah. 15 minutes to think about it, and then um, that that got rid of all all the bad habits and all, all the rust out of the system. And um, yeah, we're straight back into it. But uh, yeah, really cool. I mean, you know, we have some pretty damn cool race cars that we drive around. And uh, you know, as a as a motorsport fan myself, and 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 just a car lover in general, yeah, it's pretty good fun. And I hope your mates at Middies, your long-time supporters, Middies Data and Electrical, are giving you some LEDs to whack <laughs> under the car or something for this Saturday night. Yeah, well, uh, I, I actually, funny, funny you talk about that. I, um, I spoke to the team, you know, as soon as I heard it was going to be a night race, and I said, oh, we're going to have, can we have pink neons under the car, like Fast and Furious? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the mechanics were like, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. So, uh, yeah, I'm not even Bugger. sure where they got to with that. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I certainly asked the question. Good on you, mate. Hey, thank you so much for your time, Bryce. Really appreciate it. Congratulations on how the year is starting to pan out for you, mate. There's a few to go. And uh, so looking forward to seeing you up in Darwin with a massive smile on your face. And hopefully that can be a podium up there. Won't that be great? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, obviously lots of groundwork to put in before that. But um, even still, we'll, we'll keep pushing and whatever we get, we'll get. But uh, yeah, really excited and really happy to be here. Good on you, mate. Thanks for your time, Bryce. No worries. Thanks for having me. Mark Walker from theracetalk.com. Hello, Mark. 
Shebexter, Crowsey, I hope we're going racing this weekend. Uh, this whole universe just keeps taking more twists and turns, doesn't it? Because it seems like we've got a bit of a, an outbreak to the southern border of Sydney Motorsport Park as we speak. Yeah. Tuesday evening, we're recording this, the 14th of July. Uh, wild times. I mean, it's uh, a long time until the weekend, unfortunately. Uh, we're all hanging out for the Truck Assist Sydney Super Sprint, and we hope it happens. And uh, fingers crossed it does happen, but you know what? At this stage of the ball game, it's not a matter of waiting for governments to tell you what to do or blaming governments for anything. Take control yourself. Look after yourself, your personal hygiene, your space. Look after yourself, and then we can keep going racing. We don't have to be locked down. Oh, it just it frustrates me going around Brisbane at the moment. People think that it's life as usual, but it's not. Like, we're not far off going back to lockdown like Melbourne is. You only mm. need a few idiots up here to do the wrong thing. Mm. And she's all over Red Rover and we're back to square one. So I think it's up to the individuals to take charge of the situation and look after themselves. Yeah, I think um, I think the, the upside is, for at least for this weekend, and, and who knows what goes on from here because whether they get up to Darwin or is anyone's guess. But, um, and on that respect, we can only hope this Sydney outbreak stays as is. It uh, doesn't get any worse, and in which case, hopefully, people will continue to, to be able to travel. But um, you're 100% right. The, the, the beauty of it is, is that I, I think Supercars did a good enough job two weeks ago to prove that their process works. Um, they've taken further steps this week. They're mandating the use of face masks in the pit lane and paddock area, which I think is a move forward. Um, there will be a crowd there at this point, but they're all going to be very socially distanced at Eastern Creek. It's impossible to not socially distance. Um, and they've proved that their bubble theory is working with hotel, racetrack, hotel, racetrack. That's it. And and we've just had Bryce forward on the show. Um, speaking off there to Bryce before our chat, he was saying that he's just spent two weeks in a hotel opposite Sydney motorsport park. And it's been that and the pit garage and that's it. So they're taking it seriously. So as long as our race teams and the people in it are doing the right thing, they're setting an example. Hopefully the rest of the world follows that and um, things can continue on. But yeah, interesting times, but all we can do is operate as if we are going racing this weekend. And if we do, and when we do, it's uh, pretty feisty, I would reckon. There's, there's a bit to play out. Uh, at the creek this weekend yeah there certainly is and it'll be great to see how it picks up from two weeks ago that was some fantastic racing i think we all agree probably some of the best supercar racing we'd seen for a while and we can only hope that it continues this weekend three races a saturday night and two on sunday tire regulations have changed as we spoke to bryce about two softs and three hards uh they're doing their best to make it entertaining i'll, I'll give them that yeah, and, and I think we all gave them full marks for what happened two weeks ago. The show was outstanding, and, and some of the racing in patches was as good as we've seen supercars for a long time, and more specifically, as good as we've seen supercars at Sydney Motorsport Park for years and years and years. Uh, that place has a tendency to throw up pretty processional racing. Um, the night race two years ago was a good race after a late safety car and again, it was a tyre race where the Red Bulls were charging through, had a terrific scrap with uh, Scotty McLaughlin for the race lead and ultimately got by. But that race was energised by a safety car. If that didn't come out, we wouldn't have got that brilliant race. But there was no safety cars on the weekend. We didn't need it. It was just great racing all the way through with those varying tyre strategies and a lack of lengthy practice sessions wobbling around fine-tuning cars to make them really good it's just continues to prove and other racing has done it since then that less practice is a good thing the indycar races at road america on the weekend were wild mm. and every interview i've read and all the analysis i've read is that everyone's going well we've got 45 minutes of practice we can't tune our cars that quickly we need more practice running so it's just throw all the balls in the air and hope that we get halfway right to a setup and as a result the racing's been super nascar's been the same so, and, and, but, and Formula One last weekend, pounding around for um, three hours of practice before the Grand Prix and everyone's surprised when the race turns out to be a procession. So there's something to be said for it. I, I like what they've done. I think it's great. And I think mixing up, Mark, the tie regs again with soft and hard now is just going to throw another variable into the mix and we could see some more surprises. 
you mentioned the Formula One there. Obviously, the first weekend, everyone's frothing about it. Oh, it was so good. Then they've copied paste the next weekend and it was a completely different result. Hopefully, that tyre scenario does uh, change what was going to happen this weekend. It won't just be the same as again. So we'll wait and see how that pans out. The thing that I'm going to find very interesting this weekend, obviously, the two soft sets of tyres, three qualifying sessions. But if you're quick and make that shootout, then you're probably going to use your softs again in that. So it's not going to pay to be fast. It's going to be a bizarre situation there where the good guys are going to get penalised by that. So that's another little uh, uh, mix-up into the strategy there. Will we see someone use both sets of soft in the one race and actually just go for a win in that race and mess up the rest of their weekend, possibly? But just at least they get one win by running a double pair of softs. Well, if you're, let's say you're... I was going to say Nick Perkett, but he did it legitimately. So that's a bad example, yeah. isn't it? Um, I, I don't know. We've just had Bryce Ford on. So let's yeah. say Bryce hasn't won a race, hasn't been on the podium yet. Let's say he qualifies in the top 10. Maybe you go, well, why not? Let's, let's have a crack. Let's just throw our good softs at it for this race and race our way to the front and get a win. Let's, why not? Or, or it could be a Matt Stone racing car or Team Sydney car, maybe. Or am I drawing too long a bow there? I don't know. Um, but yeah, maybe you do. Maybe maybe that's where a gamble comes in. And, and that's what I like about these rules is that it's throwing up these variables and an opportunity for teams to do something out of the ordinary. Um, and what we've seen in the past is that, especially in mixed tyre races, that in the past, that by the second or third race of a weekend, people know what the fastest strategy is. So everyone ends up doing the same thing, which then defeats the purpose of having a mixed tyre race anyway, because everyone's on the soft at the same time and everyone's on the hard, but this will just rule that out just because they've got so few tires. So I really like that about it. And it's making people think. Um, and that's coupled with the lack of the data and the information, which played a small role, I think, in the way last weekend paid out. Um, I think that's just all contributing to building this product. Race car drivers are pretty temperamental beasts. They all have their little <laughs> idiosyncrasies. You know, they, they all behave differently. Some of them need to be so focused on what they're doing. Others perform really well when they're distracted and their brain's a million miles away. Mm. You've got this scenario where you have all these race car drivers from Melbourne who've been camped out in isolation or been off at the farm at, at, with the Kellys and Mildura or uh, wherever they have been around the countryside completely different preparation where they've had nothing to think about but this race meeting for the past two weeks it's going to be interesting to see how that affects some of these drivers will we see someone who's just gone oh you know what i'm going to pull my finger out this weekend they'll suss it out sort of thing so that's going to be a bit of a mixed one how are those melbourne teams that have been in isolation going to react because it's a completely different set of circumstances for the lead up it's a big disruption for them not to be at their home base who knows we're going to find out and uh I think it's going to be interesting. There was a thought process around how that uh, gap and how the break in racing may have panned out for some of the teams and how things might change. What we do know is that the top three are the top three. Scott McLaughlin, Jamie Winkup, Shane Van Gisbergen are always going to be thereabouts in your top six unless something goes wrong. Uh, Very much similar to Formula One, isn't it? To that extent, I suppose, in that you've got your two Mercedes and uh, you won Red Bull, and then everyone else is sort of fighting for scraps. Yeah, but but I, I don't think it is the same, actually, because there's hope for other teams. And you saw that at Sydney two weeks ago with with um, Nick Perkett winning a race. Legitimately, on pace, on good strategy, on good car performance, won a race. And the fact that Nick backed that up with strong performances in every other race as well was validation of that. Lee Holdsworth was the same story. Lee was genuinely fast in all three races and had a really solid weekend. Um, Todd Hazelwood had two really good races. Yeah. Um, you know, Reynolds had two really good races on the Sunday, sacrificed the Saturday one when he qualified so poorly. So, yeah, I, I, it is, this, this is the good thing about it, is that the good teams win. In professional sport, you want the best team to win. That's what professional sport should be about. But you've got to have hope that there's other teams that can play into it. And that's what supercars have got, especially with the way these races are being structured in that there is opportunity for other teams. But if you're in Formula One, if you're not in a Mercedes and you're not Max Verstappen, you're not going to win. It's as simple as that. Barring an airstrike, you're just not going to win the motor race. So that, that defeats the purpose. And that's why I like how this is playing out. So um, you want the cream to rise. It's like Scott Dixon you know, these wild, unpredictable IndyCar races, but Dixon's won three of the four. Best team, 
best driver, clearly. And, and despite not qualifying particularly well in some races, despite uh, having to work really hard to get there, he still ultimately got to the front because they've executed the best out of anybody. And that can be the same can be said for Scott McLaughlin and the two Red Bull cars. And, and that's fact. So we've got the big preview up at the racetalk.com at the moment that it's sort of a bit of a deep dive into that last meeting. Cause, uh, Did you just copy and paste? Been... Hello, did you oh, click good. on he it, bro? He hasn't read it. Give oh, us the click, Shabazz. No, I have. I'm ready now. That's where I got my stats from before. Oh, right. <laughs> but you, you look at that previous race meeting, there wasn't a correct strategy. You could mm. pit short, you could correct. pit long. It, it, there wasn't anything that stood out. It's like, oh, hang on, that's what we've got to do. Because it didn't matter. It just played into whatever your play, plan was for that given race. It could work out for you. So there, there's nothing to pick between any of that. Uh, obviously, the first race was a lot quicker than the last race because by the last race... Uh, they're just wearing horrible tyres on it. So the last race was 21 seconds slower than the first one. Qualifying times combined from all the sessions. Uh, Scott McLaughlin, first, second. Jamie Winkup, third, fourth. Chan Van Gisberg and fifth, sixth. Then Scott McLaughlin, two more times than Van Gisberg. And the only guy who got a look in at all was Cameron Waters, who coincidentally, cop this for a stat, he's the only car in the field with a six in its number. Huh. Well, that is amazing. Have a think a about thing. that. That's a thing. Wow. We also had a bit of a deep dive too into who's made a good start uh, this season compared to last season. And the guys to look at there are really Lee Holdsworth. He's seven positions better compared to what he was at the start of last season. Uh, obviously, the big loser so far has been Fabian Coulthard. He's back there 13th in the point standings. Uh, James Courtney's obviously had a bit of a, an interesting run there starting out with Team Sydney. But um, Shane Van Gisberg and actually started out last year very slowly as well. He's uh, three positions better in the points than he was at the same point last year, but he's right back down the standings there in eighth. So expect him to be right on the money. You look at the, the last few race meetings at uh, under lights, it's the big three. McLaughlin, Winkup, Van Gisberg and are the form guys for the Saturday night race. So the carrot who knows? cup. The carrot cup. The Who's carrot been cup. eating their carrots? We Which need, is, we, I think, A, that's copyright, the racetalk.com and on the grid. Uh, and B, I'm, uh, I'm going to get on the phone to uh, Phil Lamartino, who's a drag racer, who, who's a carrot farmer in the Riverland uh, from Mildura. Uh, I'm going to get on to the Lamartinas and their carrot farm and see if we can just get some sponsorship for that. Um, so if you're listening, drag racist, uh, hook us up. The hey, uh, the one thing that I am disappointed about, though, in our preview on the racetalk.com, for uh, this weekend is the fact that uh, under best local beer, you mentioned the Rudy Hill RSL and the fact that the Rudy Hill RSL is not named after sexual exploits. It's actually named after a mountain uh, on Norfolk Island. That really disappointed me. Well, I mean, it was, what can you say, Shebex? I mean, I, I've provided Nothing. the facts here. You can't, you can't be disappointed with the preview. I mean, I'm putting but stuff no, out no, there. No, 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 no. I'm just disappointed with the stat. One of the best comedy albums ever put together is Rodney Rude live at the Rooty Hill RSL. If, if anyone who's listening to us over in Europe at the moment through RS1 on the Radio Show Limited's channels, uh, look it up on YouTube. I'm sure you'll find it. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know where we go from there. It's a great <laughs> place to stay. Have you ever stayed there? Guys, because the no, room is massive. It? it is yeah. massive. It is. Yeah. 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 It's it's huge. huge, huge Uber Uber complex, isn't it? With sort of outdoor poker machines. Outdoor poker machines. Yeah. The sort of quasi casino and restaurants galore and massive hotels. Yeah, it is uh, it is quite extraordinary out there in the wild west of of Sydney. Yeah. I'll, the other thing I'll too like... about this weekend also we should mention as well, with the super twos and the super threes running this weekend, the advantage of having some extra rubber laid on the track is going to be a, a good thing for the cars, I would have thought. Yeah, that, that will be a factor, I think, Shebex. It's, that's going to be a really interesting little uh, little experience with those guys running together. And um, there's going to be quite a spread in the field, which will be unique um, with the Super 3 guys. And remember, half the Super 3 grid are pro-am races, if we're thinking GT racing. They're, they're pro-am guys doing it for fun in supercars. So... Uh, and they're the previous gen cars. They're not car of the future. So they're fundamentally a bit slower. But the interesting thing for mine is that um, the the Super 3 cars are still running a Kumo tyre. It won't be mentioned on the weekend because Dunlop obviously own the, the branding on the series. But they're still running the Kumo tyre. Now, the Kumo over a lap 
is quicker than the Dunlop. It's a softer tire than what they use in Super 2. So um, that's going to be really interesting. There could be a few little sneaky surprises in qualifying. Mm-hmm. Over a race distance, I think it won't be so much of a thing. But, um, you know, it's reasonable to expect that some of those Super 3 guys will be somewhere near the middle of that Super 2 field, which will be really good. Um, but like the 25 cars on the grid, which is great, um, a really broad spectrum of race cars. It's great that they can all have a go and uh, and get on the racetrack. And it's our first support category back at a national level yeah. this season. So um, obviously Toyotas and Porsche not on the program. They'll hopefully come back later on. But um, important for Super 2 for the young guns there, guys like Tom Randall, Kostecki, um, it's a racy little field. We saw some good stashes at the Adelaide 500 uh, and there's some good young names in Super 3 as well. So yeah, that, that's going to be real interesting to see how that all plays out too, Shebex. It's a good point you make as always. Yeah, I, I cannot agree more with you there, Crailsy. I'm looking forward to, I think the thing I'm looking forward to is that night race. Yeah. Uh, night racing's just cooler. Things yeah. look faster. Mm. I hope that they do tweak some of those camera angles so we don't have those just straight on headlight shots that we have had in the past. I mean, it's a bit of a tough deal that uh, obviously we've got to have the camera set up for the daytime running as well. So they'll probably just wind up being in the traditional spots, but uh, that's always been a bit of a bugbear of mine with those night races that you don't have the side shots of the glowing black brake rovers and exhaust and all that sort of caper. So we'll see. Yeah. I think they did innovate a little bit and they had to change some of the camera positions given all the light towers there block the view of some of the existing camera points um they had the jib camera on the inside at turn six which i really liked last time which was a new angle they haven't run that before uh and that at night will be tremendous Mm. i would have thought long panning shot you'll get some flames and you'll get that inside front rotor glowing as they turn the car into turn six i I just wouldn't want to be that cameraman because that looks like snake bike city out there (laughs) yeah with the the dam just in behind like it's winter like it's winter yeah yeah but um Yeah, no thanks. But yeah, look, it's going to be a great show. Really looking forward to seeing how the the permanent lighting looks for the first time. That's an important investment that they've made there for the sport moving forward. And I I don't think supercars will be the only ones using lights at that place moving forward. So uh, that's going to be very, very cool. And the other thing for mine will be TV ratings. It's very important uh, that it rates well on the Saturday night. It'll be in prime time. It's going to be up against both football codes in the NRL and the AFL. So both football codes have been rating really well this year. Shebex um, with everyone, especially in AFL land in Melbourne, having nothing else to do. Everyone's watching the footy. So numbers are up. It's going to be a really important round for supercars to get some eyeballs on their product on Fox sports and, and try and draw some big numbers in with the news as well that Darwin yes. will be on free to air on channel 10. So that's another boost. So uh, it will be really interesting. And as always, we'll track the TV ratings on the race talk uh, on the Monday after the round and let you know how it did. And as usual, we'll wrap it all up next week after what promises to be a big, big weekend boys. Thank you so much for your time as always. I'm looking forward to um, not feeling guilty about day drinking um, and just drinking Saturday night whilst watching on the couch. That will will be be great. After all this lockdown, you're feeling bad about day drinking? Yeah, there's some habits die hard. (laughs) It's It's five o'clock somewhere in the world. Well, yeah, any justification will do at this point in time. (laughs) Richard, Mark, thank you. Dale Rogers from theracetalk.com. Hello, Dale. Tony, how are you? Excellent. Thank you, mate. What an amazing couple of weeks of Formula One racing. The Red Bull Ring in Austria, uh, culminating in another fantastic race. Not so much a fantastic race as such. Lewis Hamilton dominant the second time round, but it was more so the battles behind him and also the lead-up days to race day. Yeah, that's for sure, Tony. The uh, the second race on a week, the weekend, the same track, and quite a different race, but... Uh... I think, uh, as Alan Jones once said, you throw rain into the mix and all of a sudden you've got a great Grand Prix and uh, we saw that in qualifying. So let's start from there. Michael Massey made a, made a gutsy decision to let them qualify on Saturday um, and uh, it was a scintillating qualifying session. There were some extraordinary things going on, but Hamilton's lap for pole, it'll go down as one of the great ones, there's no doubt about it. Uh, sure. It was an extraordinary lap and uh, for you know, over a second ahead, uh, the track was getting quicker, but he was so committed to that lap. Max had a big big go and had a big lose as well at the end, um, but those two lined up. 
But you look back through the grid, we, we've spoken earlier in the year, Tony, about the battle in that midfield. And um, it was fascinating because the car that we thought would probably be knocking on the door of that midfield uh, was Racing Point, And their cars did not perform in the wet at all. They had a dismal qualifying. We'll get to the race in a moment. And Scuderia Ferrari. Um, well, some issues. Say, uh, they have got some big issues. That car is not a car that's uh, even knocking on the door of the front of the grid. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was interesting. Dan Ricciardo, of course, had a big crash on, uh, on, on Friday in uh, Q2, um, in P2, I should say, and uh, by his own admission was a bit tentative on Saturday, but uh, still got into the, the top 10. So really interesting uh, setup for the Grand Prix. Um, and then I guess we had quite a period where it was Hamilton dominating, Bottas getting past everyone else to fall in as gunner for number two. But the battle behind was extraordinary. Um, a couple of highlights, of course, were uh, lap one, uh, strike two Scuderia Ferraris from the race. Um, incredible. Uh, Leclerc, very, very apologetic afterwards, said he did the wrong thing, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, he did do the wrong thing, and it's not the first time. He's got to start maturing. He's a great driver. He's got to start maturing. But I think the one that really, from a Australian perspective, I thought the Renault strategy was really off the boil. Um, Dan started on medium and caught yeah. Orcon, who qualified brilliantly, I might add, who was on the softs. So he actually caught him on a tyre that was probably half a second quicker. So he had, a, he had a fast car. And they didn't let him through. Now, in the end, not to know that Orcon was going to pull out, but if, if he pulled a second on Orcon, immediately he got past him, but, but Orcon was able to stay in DRS range. Had he been able to get through four, five laps earlier, mm. that may well have given him that two or three second break that he needed at the end, that they penalised him. They penalised the quicker car. Yeah. The inverse of that was McLaren, who didn't penalise the car, and Carlos Sainz let Lando go. He knew he had a quicker car. So there, there was two teams fighting for pretty well the same position in manufacturers and on the grid that did not play the, the same strategy. And McLaren, you know, look what happened. They both had issues. Lando, of course, copped a penalty for qualifying, drove another stunner of a race. And the race came alive at the end, as it, uh, as it did the week before. It was an was amazing, uh, amazing finish. Some of the highlights, I guess, we've spoken about Ferrari. Uh, Hamilton was, was, was so dominant. Um, Red Bull, you know, Verstappen clearly was uh, hoping to be able to battle the Mercedes, but he couldn't uh, in the end. And Albon was, you know, he, look, he's got a great car, but he, he sort of just sat back. He didn't really do a lot during the race. Uh, the McLarens, again, on were really sensational. And you look at the Constructors' Championship, McLaren are third in the, uh, well, second in the, in the championship and now. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the Ferrari, I think, are down in fifth. So it's an extraordinary situation. Uh, Renault was spoken about briefly. Um, and, uh, Racing Point, after a, a horror run for Perez in Q1, uh, complained about just could not turn the tyres on at all. Um, Stroll did a pretty good job, uh, you know, but again, they, they, were, they were pretty ordinary in, in uh, qualifying, 12th and 17th respectively. But both have, they, they've got great cars. There's no question mm. it's a really good race car. And they carved through the field as well. So um, you take Mercedes out of this mix. Uh, and, and, and I think you've really got a fantastic battle with Renault, um, McLaren and Racing Point. And um, our friends at Alpha Tauri, as we now pronounce it, uh, also did a reasonable job. So it's a good thing. And I guess the other highlight from qualifying was George Russell and Matt Williams uh, getting up to 11th place in the end after the penalties. And um, I think was, you know, using his mirrors to see cars behind him or looking in front of him to see cars rather than seeing cars lapping him and uh, unfortunately speared off at, uh, at turn six very early in the race, which just completely destroyed his race. But uh, nonetheless, it was a bit, of a, a bit of an up for Williams and it was good to see. So... All right, let's have a look at some of the stories that have come out of the weekend. And as you mentioned, the Ferrari story is a massive story uh, with that team going so badly at the moment. How do they turn it around, Dale, or can they turn it around? There's no time, is there, to really turn it around? No, the, the, the trucks are on their way. We've heard a number of journos this week saying they've been passing track, trucks on the way down to Hungary. And they did themselves uh, no favour with only giving themselves one lap trying to test out the new gear. No, they, they will be... On a track that is notoriously hard to pass on, um, you know, it's it's really got that DRS. They, they have a sort of fabricated DRS around the back, but they've only really got that one DRS down the, the front straight, and it's a very short straight. So, uh, 
if, if they don't qualify well, Hungary can often be a procession. It can also be a bit of a carb up occasionally, but you'd have to think that the cars that will qualify well in Hungary will absolutely dominate. Um, temperature can often be a, a role in Hungary. It can often be incredibly hot there. Um, so, you know, that could be a factor, but you, they just, the cars don't look good. You know, Leclerc, mm. as we spoke last week, Tony, you know, dragged that car up to uh, a podium in the, in the first race at Austria but they did not look on song in any stage. And, of course, we didn't really see them in the dry because they lasted all of three corners. Yeah, So, um, uh, yeah, I think, and, and as you say correctly, whatever they were trying to improve from week one to week two at Austria, they've got no data on because a bit of running on uh, Friday, but Saturday, completely washed out with qualifying. So, no, you know, really, um, and no racing miles. So, yeah, they're really against it. Um, they certainly are. All right, story number two, Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, desperate dive by Lance Stroll took us both off. Do we agree with him? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, you know what Dan admitted afterwards was the you know he could well have uh, closed the door, but that would have been an accident. Took taking them both off. Stroll was never going to make the corner, um, and, and the stewards' right to look at it. I just thought the decision was a bit ordinary. I mean, I, I would have thought that was Same. a five second for sure. You know, it, it, he he was off the track after he he made the corner, which means that he was never going to make the corner. Ricardo gave him the space uh, that he that he could. Yeah, should Dan have, Dan have defended a bit more, probably. But he's 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 he said that there's the moving onto the soft tyres, the car was not as good as it was on the mediums, and that was a balanced thing. But he held him off for a long time. Um, yeah, it was a desperate, and of course it cost him in the end. And it cost Perez as well, of course, uh, having a crack at Verstappen mm-hmm. and then uh, you know getting cleaned up with his front wing. So not a bad finish though for six no, seven eight across the line. It was pretty cool, but. Uh, Disappointed to see Dan drop there. I mean, I, I think realistically Dan could have been a fifth place finisher had that strategy worked for him better. But um, yeah, look, he'll fight back. You know, he, he's good. I just hope the team is not sort of saying, "Oh, look, Auckland's their man." Dan, we'll we'll favour him wherever we can. I really hope that they just continue to to uh, to give Dan the opportunity because he's had two races where he probably should have got points in both. Obviously a failure, uh, and that still an overheating problem for the Renault because Auckland went out with the same problem on. On, the, on Sunday, so yeah. I'm really disappointed we didn't have the Melbourne race now for the fact that it could have been a very interesting race on protests. We're seeing those protests being fired in now, weeks one and two of racing. The first one was against uh, the Mercedes of uh, by Red Bull two weeks ago in regards to their, uh, their new gear. And then obviously uh, Renault have fired in a protest now in regards to the racing point and their break ducks being what they believe to be very similar to what Mercedes had last year, which has already been put to bed. The FIA saying that the car, while it may bear some resemblance to last year's Mercedes, isn't the Mercedes. So let's move on. Uh, Yeah, it could have been a really interesting weekend here in Australia with everyone really gunning for that sort of stuff. Yeah, and look, there's no doubt that the that the FIA took a very long, hard look at that Racing Point, and uh, Racing Point have said, yeah, they uh, took a lot of photos of the 2019 Mercedes and built the car around photographs, which I think is extraordinary. Um, don't forget, they do use the if it's right, power, but, but if it's right, but the car is very similar. And I think what 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 Renault, uh, what, sorry, what uh, yeah, what Renault found was the point that that was as as that that gave them the leverage to protest. It was going to happen at some stage. Um, the, the pit lane is definitely saying that that car is, is a clone. Uh, don't forget, some years ago, we also had um, uh, Red Bull and uh, uh, and uh, Toro Rosso uh, being challenged, with Toro Rosso being challenged with a clone of the Red Bull as well. Of course it was. It was, you know, they're made by effectively the same company. Um, but, you know, the Haas is a clone of the Ferrari and probably going about as well as the Ferrari. So you, it, it, it is on... Uh, but but certainly the people that know the, the the real insides, the technicalities, and the aero kits and everything on these cars. So the racing point is is really very very similar. So it was thrown out. The FIA visited the factory. They've gone over all the paperwork, all over the CAD drawings, and they reckon it's a legit car. It's a quick car, that's for sure. So what we know now is that the uh, racing point cars have been impounded, and Mercedes have also been dragged into the situation, yep. having to provide plans of uh, of their systems. Yeah, they they want to make sure that there's been no no transfer of, of IP. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just can't see that that car at this stage will be will be rubbed out. Whether they get a slap, whether they get a modify this or cut this or something, it's, it's hard to know. But yeah, look, there was smoke there fr- from testing, and there was yeah. a lot of smoke when we got to Austria. Uh, and I think, as you say, it would have happened in Australia because the car was seen. 
uh, testing in Barcelona, and there was a lot of question marks asked about, you know, how that car came to be. You know, look, they've been on the rise. There's no doubt about it. But they got a massive injection of cash uh, last year when they when they uh, went into administration specifically to allow Stroll to buy it out. Uh, all of a sudden, they've got a healthy budget, and uh, uh, you know, they're they've got a very very good engine package. Uh, so the there is something there for sure, and uh, it's now up to the FIA to, to sort it out. They've got yeah. to say whether it's it's clean or not. We'll wait and see. All right, mate. Uh, quick preview on what happens at Hungary this weekend. Yeah, hopefully not a procession because it often is um, very very hard to see those Mercedes getting getting pounced. I think it's a track potentially that Red Bull could really have a crack at uh, at Mercedes. They've been good there before. They've been very strong there before. Um, don't count out Verstappen, that he is hungry for the win if the car is where it needs to be on a track that probably favours him a little bit more, uh, pretty high aero track, um, not a fast track, so the power performance of the Mercedes engine over the Honda won't be quite as uh, evident, uh, but it's going to be a qualifying game again, you've just got to get that car up the front and, you know, Hamilton walked away from the field this time in Austria and uh, and Bottas did the week before, so... Um, yeah, Red Bull would be the thing. The Smoky, yeah, I guess, I guess it's got to be Racing Point and McLaren again. Um, you know, they should be uh, knocking on the door. If anything happens, they're there to pick up another podium. Oh, well, let's hope it's an exciting race, as you said, Dale. Thanks for your time, Matt, as always. Really do appreciate it. Great, Tony. Great to be back on. And uh, let's uh, speak next week. Dale Rogers joining us here on The Grid. That's it for another show. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next week as well. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.